I do think that many of us have become thrill seekers, not only in relationships, but in life. And I know I'm very guilty of this. I, I like to gallivant. I like to run away. I like to travel. I love that every week there's something new. And I have to remind myself that I can't find necessarily long-term fulfillment in thrill. I can find excitement and passion, and I don't want to let it go. But in the end, I also want stability. Hey guys, and welcome back to Perspective. Yay, how are you, babe? Good. It's uh, winter now. It snowed. It it snowed. It, it snowed. snowed. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I I love it though. But yeah, it's it actually is kind of pretty, and I usually hate the first snowfall because I hate winter. But for some reason, I woke up and I was okay with it. Maybe because my kids were so excited and they literally wanted to be outside at seven thirty this morning. So I can't believe you hate. Winter. Like, I get it because it's like becomes miserable. It's because I'm cold. I can't, yeah. I hate yeah. being cold. I'm always cold. I'm a summer baby. I'm a Leo. Sun is my power sign. I live for the summer and the sun, but it is different now that I have kids that love going outside. So I appreciate yeah, it's it. It's so fun. Yeah. 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 Um, anyways, so, okay. I, I just have to say it right now because it's been like eating away at me all day because I sickened, but I heard something today and I have to talk to you about it and tell you because everyone needs to be on my level and I have to share my misery <laughs> about this information. Oh my God. I was listening to the radio this morning. Again, uh, gotta love our Toronto radio, Peter and Blake. Anyways, love them. Flo 935. So <laughs> they're telling Quick me. Quick shout out. Yeah. Anyways. So I heard today and this is like such an injustice against women, but T.I., beloved rapper, everyone knows him. So great takes his daughter, who is 18 years old, to the gyno every single year after her birthday to ensure that her hymen is still intact. What? <laughs> I know. I cannot. I'm laughing, but it's not funny. I'm like laughing because it's like nervous. Because you're so uncomfortable. And yeah. <laughs> like so uncomfortable. And I just wanted to say this out loud because everyone needs to know what the fuck is happening in the world. Like people... Dads are taking their daughters and like famous ones and they're talking about it. It's so weird. Well, obviously, if he's doing that, there is an agreement between him and his daughter and she has given him permission to do that, I mean, to invade why? her privacy so, so deeply. Either, but Okay, either he's like forcing her to or bribing her because no teenage girl is like, sure, dad, please be so invasive as to get into my vagina information. Like, yeah, it's my, not appropriate. My dad's never even said the word hymen to me. My dad has never even said the word gyno to me. Like, if my dad ever said, hey, Jess, how's your hymen? I'd be like, how's your, walk away. How's your hymen hanging, Jess? Yeah. Is it, no, no, even better. Is your hymen still intact? <laughs> okay, we're done forever, Dad. Like, this is where we draw the line. Yeah. This is where we're done. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I guess if she's cool with it, she's cool with it. I think it's terrible. I mean, if she just turned 18, she's an adult, so I don't really think he can do this any further. I would be yeah. interested and to know how long he was doing this for because, like, ew. But And how long he's going to continue. When well, he can't age? continue. She's 18. She's an adult. Well, she's 18 now, and she still did it on her 18th birthday. So. Yeah, but I think this was, like, the final year. I need to believe that, okay? okay. We're just going to believe that. <laughs> okay. Same, same. Let's it's go with that. Moving this on. Is done forever. Anyways, I just had Girls, to Girls, your dad doesn't there. need to take you to the gyno to check if your hymen is intact. Just in case 
And guess you what? weren't aware of that. When when he's probably still, if he's that rich and he, this is about money, he's probably still going to give you the money. So don't even do it for that. Like Jesus. Anyways. Um, on. Yeah, moving on. Okay, let me like cloud some hideous rappers news with some a better rappers news. Um, a better rapper. A better rapper and news and news exactly. Um, because course, he's Canadian. Yeah, well, Toronto's very own our our Jersey Drake. He is opening a dispensary here um, in Toronto with and they're partnering with Canopy Cannabis. And anyways, I just it's super cool. I just love it. I love all the Toronto stuff that's going on because it kind of fits in with our Toronto guest today. Yes, she is a Canadian-born, homegrown girl, that's for sure. Oh, I love repping our country and our city, especially when our our folks are so, like, I'm just going to say fucking cool and amazing and better. (laughs) (laughs) And we've lost every other non-Canadian listener we ever had. (laughs) It's okay. Canadians are so, we just love each other so much. Anyways, we're proud of it because we're proud we are like the younger siblings to our american counterparts and like they have everyone so we can be proud of who we have but they don't have drake they do not have drake or, or justin bieber okay well they, they kind of have they, they can have, have him. him like please take him they kind of have him now yeah but anyways whatever we know where you're from <laughs> jbeebs anyways the bottom line is toronto is amazing <laughs> yes we're proud canadians if you can't tell yeah <laughs> And we're proud to have this guest on today. She is hashtag goals for us. Literally, literally our biggest hashtag goal ever. Like we, when we started this podcast, we discussed like who is our top. Who is someone we really, really want to talk right now. I'm so excited. We're really fangirling. (laughs) But yeah, we (laughs) talked about who we would really, really want to have on the show as a high-reaching, a high-reaching guest okay. for us, and uh, we're lucky enough to have her. Yeah, today. And I think it was so high-reaching. I don't even think it was like a goal of ours, like let's sit down and write this down. I think it was like, oh my god, imagine one day if we ever like got her on our show, like what would happen? We didn't even really actually think, did you? Well, actually, to loop it back into last episode, our last episode is we got connected to her through Allie, who. Yeah was on last week and she is the public relations specialist who just started her own business. So shout out Ali. Got some great feedback and yeah. we owe you so much and thank you so much for making this connection because yeah. um obviously if you're like on our Instagram and you're watching our social you'll you've seen that our guest is Dr. Jess. <laughs> <laughs> is more Dr. Jess like it's I can't believe it. I still can't believe it. Like I'm so giddy. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> We couldn't hold it anymore, obviously. But yes, Dr. Jessica O'Reilly of Sex with Dr. Jess. Yeah, that's her main handle, I guess, right? Yeah, that's that's kind of her branding. And um, she is absolutely incredible. And we talk about so many very important points to consider when getting into a relationship, when getting out of a relationship, how to maintain strong relationships, and not just romantic, but just relationships in general. Yeah. And the things that she said, like really stuck with me, like obviously, of course, I, you know, had my own personal (laughs) therapy session. As always. I I have to take advantage of the doctors when I can get them. Like I need all the help I can get. (laughs) Anyways. um, So she said a couple of things that I just really feel that I took personally and and I really feel motivated by them. I really feel that it was so important and so applicable and so helpful to hear that like I felt I feel good. I feel nice about it. You're ready to make some changes. I am and like there's a lot of things that can be changed. But 
<laughs> this small thing that she mentioned, and obviously you guys will hear, was about introspection and really figuring out what what makes you happy and I know that that's you know everyone's advice and it's so easy to say like figure out what makes you happy it's so fucking hard like I don't know I've been trying to figure this out my whole life but the smallest thing is is just like taking a step back and like doing it slowly and like thinking about when you're entering a relationship and when you're in the relationship and I don't know I just and not just again not just romantically though in any relationship like friendships and business and work and yeah I think it is really important to take a minute and actually just kind of talk to yourself and yeah, say, is this each step? Yeah, is this working for me? Is this actually making me happy? How do I feel about it? And she, obviously, being the expert that she is, explains it so well and gave us some great perspectives and points. And again, we're going to get into it, but there's just like a couple things that we chatted about that I've never really considered, which is like the difference between Western and Eastern cultures in terms of like relationships and cultivating them and maintaining them. Um, I think in this Westernized society, North America specifically, we really live under this sort of like social media cloud where we're literally like, hashtag couple goals, hashtag relationship goals. And we look to these like rom-com or fairy tale movies that this is the only way to have a relationship. If you're not happily ever after, then you're not. Yeah. Like, well, you're not in any sort of worthy relationship. Yeah. You need to go out and find that Prince Charming or Princess Charming (laughs) and have your happily ever after. And if you're not achieving that, then you're wasting your time. And so you might as well go get someone new or end it. I mean, and just like how everyone knows when you're watching these movies or hearing these stories, like how it's so ridiculous. It's so not real life. And isn't it funny that we still translate this into our own goals, even though it's the most like unattainable, unrealistic crap out there like nobody lives like that these movies are so unrealistic but anyways well that's exactly um, what they're supposed to be they're well entertainment yeah and fiction and somehow we've translated that into the need for a relation like the expectations to to go by and it's funny that you mentioned the eastern versus western because of course in our western world we're so in our western bubble and it's it's so self-centered and you know and in narcissistic it is it's such a narcissistic society to some extent and in the eastern um like just dr jess talks about this a little bit how it's not like that and in in those cultures relationships are you know built on you know initial friendships and companionships and then love and and stuff is built from it and it's so um it's a process it's it's work it's effort and it's not like how we are so disposable it's not like that at all right yeah I think what we do is romanticize romance and we forget that we're all humans and we're all individual and we all have our quirks and things that drive each other nuts, especially when you are in like a romantic or intimate relationship with someone, boyfriend, girlfriend, married, whatever it is. But like this this need and expectation for people to be perfect is a problem. Well, and you know, <laughs> it's not even like, well, I personally like when I'm a, yeah, I guess I do have like high expectations of men. And it's also the portrayal of that that a lot of people do. We all know like the Insta world, social media world, it's all about perfection and everything is perfect and looks so good and goals AF. But 
yeah, it's really sad that that's kind of like put on to, to other people. Like, you know that you're not perfect. I know that I'm not perfect. Everyone knows that they're not perfect. Everyone knows that they can only, you know, do so much and be so much and, you know, come to these standards so much, you know? And so it's, it's kind of, it's so disabling. Yeah. I mean, you kind of, we, not you, but like we as a whole set ourselves up for failure, I think. Yeah. because you've already decided on what this relationship yeah. needs to look like and needs to be. And when those check marks or those check boxes aren't being checked off, then you're kind of like, well, what happened here? We're failing. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. But I don't think we ever have those like conversations. We never put those expectations out there the way we obviously should so our partners are aware of what we are hoping to get out of these relationships. Well, I think that comes back to the introspection. Like maybe we couldn't verbalize that to ourselves, let alone verbalize it to a partner. So I think that's why the introspection is so important is to figure out what makes you happy. And then when you realize what makes you happy, and as we all know, like, of course, easier said than done, but as we all know, only you can make yourself truly happy. Nobody, that's nobody else's job or responsibility or, or ability to, to, for you to rely on solely to make you happy. So I think the where the introspection comes in is when you figure out how to do that for yourself, that pressure is alleviated from relationships. Yeah, I agree. And I like you said, it is a lot easier said than done. But that was just something that we really took away from the conversation we had with Dr. Jess yeah. because I think sometimes you just need to be reminded to just stop and listen to your inside voice as they say and actually listen to it though and even like have a conversation with yourself because we obviously don't do that enough and I think that is maybe contributing to some of the difficulties that people are finding either getting into relationships or staying in relationships because I do think we kind of expect the people that we start dating or are with to be mind readers and just like no and then when they're not delivering on what we've decided on in our own heads and never actually verbalized (laughs) we're like bastards yeah exactly (laughs) we're like what's wrong with you how did you not know i wanted 12 dozen rosins today yeah you're such a failure of a man like jesus christ prince charming would do this He would just get it. Yeah, he would. I, I wouldn't have to tell him. Yeah, exactly. Prince Charming would know, but there is no Prince Charming. Some guy isn't going to come sweep you off your feet. And just like some magical fairy tale woman isn't going to come sweep some guy off his feet. Like, we have to get over romanticizing romance. Yeah, you're right. And if you think about it too, in other aspects of life, like work, for example, careers are a huge part of your life. Same with your romantic relationships. Like jobs don't just come and sweep you off your feet. Like everything is is work and effort and, and time. And why would you expect another person to not follow suit with that? Like, or why would you expect that aspect of your life, like your relationship to, to be exempt from that role or all of that, right? Yeah, it's, I think, again, we are humans and the people we have relationships with are humans also. And we have to just allow ourselves to like be human. And I think that those were like two major points that we get to in the show is just introspection and acceptance and 
yeah, allowing ourselves to be a human. Well, and something that Dr. Jess said too was about gratuity and like, obviously she'll say it and she, she didn't, we didn't have like a lot of time to touch on it very much, but oh God, I wish that gratuity was something that was easier to, to have or like to incorporate in life. And I do see, think that that's one of the most important things in finding happiness. So anyways, this woman is just so full of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we could have her with us every we, day. We tried to keep her... <laughs> She obviously is a very busy lady and had... She was not having that, weirdly enough. <laughs> she didn't want to sit there and talk to us for no. 12 straight hours. Yeah, just um, please we, be on the show. Yeah, we desperately hope that she'll be on the show again. And we're super excited for you guys to hear this episode. It's great. I think you'll learn a lot. And we definitely need to give Dr. Jess a proper introduction as she has a lot of... Um, credentials yeah. and experience <laughs> and like god this woman's killing it she is a toronto-based sexologist and relationship expert she's an author she's a motivational speaker she's a traveler she is a podcast speaker with her husband and i don't can i reiterate enough like she is our ultimate goals she was the very first podcast we ever listened to um i like oh my gosh we're so lucky to have her here's a time where i will practice gratuity is is having dr jess on our show yeah and um she also is on the playboy channel which you can stream and we just wanted to shout that out since we just did a little playboy episode everything is so full circle it really is (laughs) we try and keep it that way yeah but yes i think without further ado we're so excited and feel very honored to have dr jess on the show happy to be here Uh, thank you so much we're exciting. Very, very excited to have you here and very excited to pick your brain a bit and hear your expertise on, I think, a topic that is causing people a lot of stress right now, which is commitment. Yeah, I think single people are stressed about it. Committed people are stressed about <laughs> it. Uh, you know, we're living longer than ever. So a lifetime of commitment is a lot longer than it used to be, right? And our options seem to be endless. And, you know, we have all these different alternatives to traditional monogamy. And I think uh, the paradox of choice is that it can be overwhelming. But, of course, I believe that choice is a good thing. Well, I think you both are, are married and in committed relationships. So being the person that is single, I can definitely say that it is very overwhelming. Um, and it's it's so scary. Like the second I think I meet someone or I want to meet someone, I do. And I'm like, no, no, I, I can't, I can't. So please help me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think first and foremost, we need to ditch the romance. I think that, you know, Western notions of romance tell us that we're supposed to find the one, that this person is supposed to fulfill every single one of our needs. Uh, and it's supposed to be exciting. It's supposed to be a friendship. You're supposed to be partners in every possible way. And I, I think that our expectations are unrealistic. And then I think the second piece is this notion of relationship goals. The Insta-filtered, super shiny, perfect relationship has become a status symbol. And the status symbol is, let's be honest, it's fake. Behind every happy couple is, you know, fighting, uh, you know, very uncomfortable conversations that bring them to that happiness. It's not, you know, this beautiful climb to the peak. It's a jagged back and forth, switchback trails. That doesn't mean that it's, miserable, but it requires effort. And so I think that part of why folks are becoming so picky, for example, is that their expectations aren't so realistic, 
right? There's this notion that, oh, I'm going to find the perfect person. And you don't become, you don't find perfect partners. You become compatible. And it's, it, you know, romance says, oh, we're going to be there for one another no matter what. Nothing can go wrong. And the reality is a lot can go wrong and you will hurt each other and you will need to forgive. So most people are, I guess, like running away the second that those troubles happen. Is that what you're thinking or seeing? Yeah, I think many people have this expectation that if you find the right person, you won't struggle or there won't be these challenges. And so when they see a glimpse or even a glimmer of challenge or problem or discomfort, you're right. They turn away and say, oh, this just wasn't meant to be. No relationship is meant to be. There's nothing magical or mystical about it. You don't find a soulmate, you become soulmates. And it requires ongoing effort. It's not a one and done conversation. You know, I come from a sex education background. And when we look at young people, we used to, you know, discuss having the talk. There is no such thing as the talk. It is an ongoing conversation from cradle to grave when you talk about relationships and sex. If you have a conversation once, you're only reflecting your feelings, your perspectives, your beliefs at that moment in time. It's this time, it's like taking a picture and saying, that's what you look like. But you don't look like that all the time. You don't get that same angle. You don't have the same lack of wrinkles. You know, you change <laughs> over time. And so all conversations have to be ongoing. I just have to say an amen to that. But mm -hmm. also just going back to you saying that it doesn't just happen because you want it to. Do you think, though, that it has really shifted because of things like social media, dating apps, where it wasn't as much of a challenge to get into a relationship or find your so-called soulmate? Do you think that it's always really been like this and maybe we're just more aware because we have more access and more mm -hmm. options and choices? Mm -hmm. Or has, has that sort of played a part and changed the game? Well, I think technology both shapes and reflects culture. So the desire for all these options has always existed, and the technology fills that need. And then this you know, cyclical or circular response is that it also continues to fuel that need and, and create additional motivations to you know, look for something new, look for something shiny and exciting. And the beginnings of things are always more exciting. Your first day on the job is more exciting than your hundredth day on the job. Even coffee with a new friend can be more exciting than coffee with a friend of 30 years. Does that mean that that, that new relationship is more valuable or more fulfilling? No, it's just more exciting. And I do think that many of us have become thrill seekers, not only in relationships, but in life. And I know I'm very guilty of this. I, I like to gallivant. I like to run away. I like to travel. I love that every week there's something new. And I have to remind myself that I can't find necessarily long-term fulfillment in thrill. I can find excitement and passion, and I don't want to let it go. But in the end, I also want stability, right? And that's, you know, a typical entrepreneur profile, for example, if you have entrepreneurs listening, there's this thrill-seeking, risk-seeking motivation. And we often find that in our work, but then we expect our partners to be the stability, the predictability, the comfort that all humans desire. And that's not always fair to the partner because they also want a thrill. They also mm -hmm. want passion and they mm -hmm. want it with you 
they don't want you to, you know, and I, I've fallen into this personally where I go out and my job is super fun and exciting. And then I get home to Toronto for a couple of days and I just want to sit on my blue couch in my jogging pants and I don't want to do anything. And that's not always fair, fair to my partner who perhaps has been at home. I mean, he's not sitting at home, you know, waiting for me yeah. <laughs> or he has his own thing going on. But, uh, you know, we have to consider how do we inject passion? How do we inject risk? How do we balance the need for comfort with the need for risk? And I think people just need to do a little bit more introspective consideration. If you can't tell me what you want in a relationship, you can't find it. So that's a really the, good point. yeah, very good point. The, the seeking the excitement, seeking the thrill is just not sustainable for long-term happiness. Do you think? I think that you can always have thrill and passion, but there are other places to find it other than novelty and newness, right? So people right. want something new because, you know, or someone new, let's be honest, mm -hmm. because, because you don't know much about them, because they're appealing because all the things you don't know about them, your mind idealizes by filling in the gaps the way you want it to be. But once you get to know them, the same little irritations or idiosyncrasies are going to come up and cause tension in the relationship. So you absolutely can have thrill in a long-term committed relationship if you talk about it, if you plan for it, if you don't fall into doing nothing but watching Netflix together. Uh, it's not only the beginnings themselves that are exciting, it's the things you do in the beginning. Yes, there's the chemical reaction, there's the dopamine rush, there's the drop in serotonin, mm -hmm. there's that adrenaline rush that really makes, you know, results in brain changes that look similar to someone who's heavily using drugs. So there is that chemical excitement, but there's also the behavioral piece as to why things are more exciting at the beginning. You go out more, you try new things, you share and have, have these meaningful, deep, revealing, vulnerable conversations. We stop doing that in relationships because we seek too much comfort in our relationships. If we can have enough comfort and enough safety, security, love, and trust that you can inject a little bit of risk. That's when you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have the commitment and you can have the thrill of something new with or even without your partner. You know, I think we can broaden definitions of relationships. You know, we had talked a little bit uh, before we started uh, about uh, my TED Talk, Monogamish, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is a bit of a toned down version of what I perhaps would have liked to have talk about, talked about. But the reality don't is that... back here. <laughs> yeah, please don't. <laughs> well, the reality is that monogamy does not work for everyone. 12% of Canadians say that an open relationship is their ideal relationship format. 20% of young American daters have tried a consensually non-monogamous relationship. Am I suggesting that consensual non-monogamy, and I'm going to abbreviate it to CNM, am I saying that CNM relationships are the answer to a lack of commitment or the solution to unhappy relationships? Absolutely not. But for some people, they absolutely are. And I think what's more important is that every single one of us, without exception, at minimum, considers a range of options. Monogamy fails because we opt in to this default setting without considering whether or not it's really for us. If you consider your options and say, yeah, you know what? What I really want is monogamy for the rest of my life. I'll remain open to other considerations as things change, but that's what I believe I want right now. If you've made that consideration, if you've spent some time thinking on this topic, you're more likely to succeed. If you just sign up for monogamy because it's the next step. You started dating in college, you moved in together, you might as well get married, have a kid. That's when it fails because you didn't make a conscious decision. You didn't look at the relationship buffet and choose the right plate for you. You just took what was handed to you. Right. Yeah, I think that is a huge factor. And I think 
for me, that would tie into the fulfillment side because once you've decided to be in a committed monogamous relationship, one or both partners expect that their partner to fulfill them in every way. Mm -hmm. Like they need to be their entertainment. They need Mm -hmm. to be their confidant. Mm -hmm. They need to be their fun, their passion, their... Stability. Their stability, their business partner. Their sex. um, Their sex, their Mm -hmm. Mm co-parent. And then... I think if if you have a partnership where one is expecting that more of the other, mm-hmm. it is pretty much a recipe for disaster. And because mm-hmm. then that other person is like pulling away, like, oh my god, I just need a minute. Like, mm-hmm. I feel suffocated by you mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. And the then, balance. you know, then whatever may happen, the relationship fails, or like, you seek things elsewhere, mm-hmm. and then you have to try and come back to figuring out why the breakdown happened and then the conversation sometimes can be too little too late I think when it's like well I was I if, couldn't be your everything and that's <laughs> even if both people want to have that conversation because a lot of the time now people are like no it's not working it's done next right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so even if people want to even go there but here's the thing the problems you face in relationships with the exception of people who are dealing with you know abusive partners mm-hmm. yes. The problems you face will follow you around because they're your problems. Yeah. <laughs> People will say, oh, I attract a certain type who does this thing. Like I might say, oh, I, I'm always attracted to someone who's emotionally unavailable. Mm, okay, let's not put it on the other people. If six of your partners, you perceive them to be this way, it is either your perception, perhaps even your behavior. So, you know, our problems are our own and they won't change because you change relationships. Similar to business, to, to, to work, you know, you can say, oh, well, I'm dealing with difficult personalities at this bank, so I'm going to go work at another bank or another company. You don't think there's difficult personalities or what you perceive to be difficult personalities everywhere, right? The grass is, is always greener until you actually get on the other side. So I think we need to find a balance between not staying in relationships that make us miserable Uh, But also committing, if there is a miserable moment or a difficult time, you have to work through it. You don't get to go around it. You have to work through it. And this is the bottom line, and people hate this. Relationships take work. Now, I say work because I love my work. So I've noticed people have said on my podcast, you say it's work, we don't want to work. Okay, it takes effort. It doesn't just happen. Nothing in life happens by sheer luck, right? If you want to be healthy and fit, You have to make plans, adjust what you eat, how you work out, how you sleep, your mindset, how mindful are you. You have to make behavioral and attitudinal adjustments to achieve whatever goal it is you're looking to achieve. If you want to make a certain amount of money, similarly, you have to perhaps do some schooling or do some planning or network in certain ways. It doesn't just fall in your lap. And it's the same thing for relationships. We spend so much time and money investing in weddings and not enough in relationships. And I'd love to see people stop spending and planning on their weddings and just spend, whether that be time or money on on therapy, on the relationship itself. Because investing in the startup phase of something is a waste of time if you are not going to continue to invest. Again, like so I, I teach this marriage as a business program and how business practices and business acumen apply to relationships. Your AGMs, those check-ins, those monthly board meetings or quarterly board meetings, showing up on time, giving your partner your full focus, adapting, problem solving, strategizing. All of these are things we need to do in our relationships. This morning I was talking to um, about a couple who they're fighting over how to spend the holidays, you know, with whose family and how much time. And I said, you know what, let's do a draft. 
let you make a list of the different places you want to go. I want to go to my mother's on the 25th, or I want to go to my brother's in law on the 23rd, or I want to sleep over. Make a draft list and then take turns choosing from that list. And, and people say, you know, you're unromantic, Jessica. Yeah, I'm hella unromantic. <laughs> romance is something you can cultivate, but romance will not keep you together. Yeah. It will not lead to fulfillment. It can feel good for a moment, but it is often a band-aid solution. I'm not saying that romance isn't alluring, but it is not the foundation for a lasting, happy, fulfilling relationship. I think right. the problem with the idea of romance is because we all want it. Mm-hmm. And we are surrounded by it, like, because you see it in snippets, you see it in TV, you see it in movies, you see it on social media. And then you think that that is supposed to be what builds a a relationship. Mm -hmm. And then when you have moments of no romance, Mm -hmm. you're like, well, this obviously isn't working. We're Mm -hmm. not meant to be together. People don't consider that it's, it's supposed to be like a special moment. It's not continuous. It's not constant. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I don't know how you like learn that though. Like how, when you're starting in a relationship and it is romantic Mm -hmm. and it is fun Mm -hmm. and it's exciting and then it's not, people probably don't know how to like understand where the, you know, like why the breakdown happened and where the loss was because like we were so romantic and then we just weren't like, how do you teach or like for people that are maybe starting a relationship, how do they learn how to understand that side of it before they get into it? Like the romance will not just be there all the time. Well, first and foremost, it's your behavior. <laughs> like the romance doesn't go away like sparkle dust that evaporates into the air. You stop doing things. And, I, you know, I like the notion of romance in so much as romance involves making your partner feel important. Because that's really what it is, making them feel special, making them feel cared for. And I think you should be doing that every single day. But our Western notion of romance is so over the top. And it comes from pop culture representations of relationships and what it looks like. These effusive expressions, these dramatic over-investments in in big things like chartering a helicopter and planning this romantic meal. And those grand gestures, in my opinion pale in comparison to small daily investments. If you can take one minute a day to make your partner feel special, Mm -hmm. to show them that they really value, to show them that you put them above all else, not all the time, but sometimes. I think the daily investment, like dollar cost averaging, is far more impactful than investing once a year on Valentine's Day or Mm -hmm. on your anniversary. Listen, if Valentine's Day or your anniversary or your birthday um, is a good reminder to reinvest in the relationship, so be it. But if you leave it till once a year, twice a year, three times a year, you're in trouble. Again, back to your health, right? Yeah, I can't yeah. eat uh, you know, a Big Mac 364 days a year and then have a salad on the 365th and be like, oh, I'm healthy again, which is totally what I do. <laughs> it <laughs> doesn't big, look like it. I know, yeah. I know. It's, it's, it's a genetic <laughs> curse. <laughs> but you, know, you can't just invest in your health. You can't just invest in your finance. You can't invest in your spirituality, uh, in your well-being once a year or twice a year. It's an ongoing thing. It's the same thing for relationships. So if we could apply the same practicality we apply in every other realm of our life, to relationships, we'd be much better off. And then I also want to remind people that this notion of romance, like where did it go, is such a Western concept. Because if you, so I'm a person, you know, who bridges the the East and the West in my cultural background. And, you know, I, I work overseas as well. And you won't see folks in many Eastern countries saying like, oh, well, I just don't feel like I used to. So maybe it's not working out. Because oftentimes relationships begin as friendships. And then you cultivate the passion, you cultivate the romance, you cultivate the attraction. It's not 
just a thrill it's that you know happens because it's new and unknown it's something that you invest in and we and you know maybe that sounds a little abstract so I, you know i can give some examples one thing i suggest is that people do a 60 second favor for their partner every single day. So that might be bringing them a coffee. That might be uh, giving them a hand massage just for 60 mm-hmm. seconds. That yeah, might be, uh, some people say they they butter the toothbrush. If they get up before their partner, <laughs> they put the toothpaste on the toothbrush. I mean, that's a silly thing. I wouldn't mm-hmm. like that because germs and everything, but other people yeah. are into that. <laughs> just sitting there uh, for how long? <laughs> or, or maybe you uh, clean their laptop screen, or maybe no. you gas up their car, or maybe you peel them yeah. an apple. These are small things. And if you do not have a minute a day to make your partner feel important, you don't have the time to invest in a relationship. Yeah, and relationships are everything, not necessarily intimate relationships, but a wealth of research shows that it's our relationships that are, that are the determining factor in not only our overall health and longevity, but our life satisfaction and fulfillment and even our earnings. So there's this longitudinal uh, Harvard study that looked at graduates, I think it was over almost 80 years. And what they found was that those who had what they considered warm relationships had considerably higher earnings. I don't want to misquote the number, but I think it was in the $140,000 per year in excess of others range. So I mean, significant relationships matter. And it's not just about, you know, in, in North America, I see this, you know, hyper networking, who can I meet? What can I get? But it really is about connecting with people and feeling something and and appreciating taking the time to to appreciate you know someone saying good morning to you which is lost in toronto for example mm-hmm. um i have this i have this idea that i want to start a campaign called warm up toronto because so i'm my mother's from jamaica and so our cultural background is very community oriented it is rude to pass someone on the street and not say good morning or good afternoon or good evening and so i just yesterday came off the plane from jamaica and i was there for a week and, uh, you know, in the city as well, not just not just on a resort or something like that. And you say good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone. And it's wow. funny because I got off the plane and on the ramp in Toronto, there were a bunch of people, you know, with wheelchairs and with clipboards and whatnot. And I nodded and said hello. And I, I was like, oh, I forgot. We're back in Toronto where no one acknowledges you. You're like a weirdo you. if you start yeah. talking to everybody on the street. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to say that it's... Um, rude or cold because I know that that's that's a cultural judgment but from my perspective I wish I had more of that connection you know when I walk down the street on Queen Street and say good morning to people I don't want them to look at me like I'm trying to eat their child or look away yeah yeah and again I I want I want to be clear I'm not suggesting people owe anybody anything I know that like for example there are men that I wouldn't want to say hi to because I feel intimidated or because you're worried about being hit on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I understand there are plenty of reasons to keep distance as well. And I would like people to consider just connecting with more people because the research shows that it's not only our intimate and familial and friendship relationships that affect our well-being, but even our daily interactions with people that you might see as periphery or even inconsequential. But the way you talk to the person who makes your coffee in the morning, the way you connect with the lady who serves you your sandwich in the cafeteria every damn day, Mm -hmm. those are real relationships. You may not be sharing your vulnerabilities with them, but I think those interactions matter. And I think if you can be a little bit more mindful of those relationships, you might find that you're more mindful in dating. And I know I've taken us on a tangent here, but um, just just my soapbox. Here's my TED Talk. (laughs) Say hello, Toronto. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Well, I can reel it back because I wanted to – so everything that you mentioned is is in relationships and even at the beginning of relationships and maintaining said relationship. But 
what about even before that mm-hmm. part where you've met someone and, and I'm guilty of this and this is what I wish that I didn't do. It's mm-hmm. a, I think a horrible habit, but utilizing them for, for like you mentioned the dopamine rush. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll, and like also you mentioned building them up and, and they have this, like, I, I'm so enamored by them initially. And then I meet them as I'm talking online dating specifically. And then I meet them and then it all comes crashing down. I'm like, oh, you're not like what I wanted and I don't want to see you again. Like I can't even get past that part. Mm-hmm. The chase and the kill theory, right? Yes. I'm, I'm just, I, I feel addicted to the chase. And then right after that, I've built them up in my head by no guilt of their own or even, fault you know, fault or even yeah. participation of their own, you mm-hmm. know, to an extent. And I, I can't even get past doing that. Mm-hmm. Once you've made the kill, so to speak, you're like, okay, we're done. Here. I'm bored here. I want to move on. How long are you spending chatting online before you meet in person? Um, some It depends if I, you know, some of them are quicker than others, maybe like usually around a week mm-hmm. if I can, mm-hmm. uh, depending on schedule. Okay. So yeah. it's not like you're chatting for months. I mean, I think... No, no, not months. I think the other thing we have to remember is I said that relationships are so important, but it doesn't mean you have to have an intimate partner, right? So there are all right. different types of relationships. You can have that loving support with all of the these corollary benefits I mentioned with with a sibling with a friend with a neighbor with a with a parent with lots of different types of people so I think it's also important to consider that it's also okay not to be in a relationship it's okay to be committed to yourself it's okay to be single and it sounds to me like you're enjoying (laughs) being single and you're enjoying the chatting and I think that's okay too as long as you're honest with yourself and honest with other people if on the other hand you said to me no, what I really want is to find a committed relationship. Um, I think I'd challenge you and say, is that really true? Because yeah. you're doing this thing that tells me otherwise. And, <laughs> but I also think that's okay. There's not one way to do it. You know, some people thrive in a long-term committed relationship and some people thrive in other types of relationships. And when I talked about the choice that we now have, I think that's a really important thing to emphasize, which is that you don't have to be in a committed relationship. You don't have to be in any relationship. You have the option to have multiple partners. You have the option to practice ethical, consensual non-monogamy. And I'm glad we're having these conversations. I think that, you know, you talked about this kind of fear of commitment. I think many of us watched our parents either break up or watched our parents be unhappy together or watched our parents kind of bury these very serious issues. And there is a generational distinction with younger people not only realizing that they have more options, and I have no criticism of that whatsoever, but also realizing that we have to communicate openly about our feelings. And sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it sucks, and sometimes we suck at it, but we're going to try. And I think this has to do with the slow eradication of gender norms as well because when we talked about the burden of fulfilling all your needs falling on your partner oftentimes in a heterosexual context we see the emotional burden being entirely borne by a woman and if she has a male partner so again I'm talking about male female couples here oftentimes a man will have no other emotional outlets. They don't see a therapist. They don't talk to their friends. They don't express themselves emotionally to anybody except that one single partner. And the burden of that emotional labor can be overwhelming. It can be too much. Now, again, there are many exceptions to this. And I'm not Mm. saying that all men function this way. But what I'm seeing with younger folks is that so many 
folks of all genders are more open to expressing themselves rather than lashing out, rather than withdrawing, um, rather than be becoming aggressive, they'll say, you know what, this makes me really uncomfortable. Let me think about how this is on me emotionally, and then let me explain how I'm feeling to my partner. And so I think that even though we are seeing fewer long-term committed relationships, even though we have you know, data suggesting that marriage is on the decline, I think it's important to note that divorce is also on the decline. And more importantly, because I'm not concerned about how you commit or when you break up, more importantly, I think we're seeing more meaningful relationships in the relationships that exist. And so if that means there are fewer relationships, but the quality of those relationships is higher, I think that, that we're on a good path because it sounds to me like it's better to not be in a, a romantic relationship than to be in one that doesn't bring you fulfillment or in fact that brings you distress and so I think yeah. when we worry you know we always like to look at the next generation and be critical they're not getting married they won't commit they're having all the sex all this jazz which by the way is not true young people are not necessarily having more sexual partners than their than their parents when we look at the data but I think that if that they're really helping to shift the quality of relationships and yeah, I see that as a really good thing. So I think not committing is, is a valid choice as well, especially if you're waiting to commit to a great relationship. Now, having said that, I'm seeing like, <laughs> I'm seeing dating criteria that's just so, so concerning to me, you know, like, oh, he has to be taller than me, or yeah. she has to have this type of job, or, you know, he has to be into this, or she can't be a vegan, or all of these different parameters that, you know, really don't affect the way you connect intimately don't affect how you feel about yourself because I believe that's the measure of the relationship is how do you feel about yourself with this person? And I live by this 99 rule. What will I care about when I'm 99? Am I going to be lying there next to you, the love of my life? We spent this lifetime together, ups and downs, and be like, ah, oh, man, I wish you were taller, yeah. right? Or I wish you were, you, were, you were broader, or I wish you were skinnier, or I wish you were fatter. I, come on. Those are not the things that bring us fulfillment. And, if, and people are going to say, well, what if you're just attracted to one thing? Sure, but I think we really need to deconstruct why we are physically attracted to certain things and why certain body types and, and aesthetic elements are held up in a higher regard than others. Like we have, we have Eurocentrism in there, notions of what beauty should be. We have, you know, notions of, of gender, what should a woman look like versus a man. And of course, with younger folks acknowledging that gender occurs on a spectrum, we're seeing these eradicated. So I, I'm really hopeful. <laughs> um, I see technology as much as I, I am concerned about our distraction and lack of mindfulness because of technology. I also see its many benefits. I see relationships significantly enriched by technology. And I think the other thing as humans is we have to stop blaming outside sources like technology and start looking at our own behavior because my phone isn't the problem. It's what I do with my phone that is the problem. Yeah, I definitely think that on the surface, it's hard to like accept that maybe you need to be more introspective and you need to like look at yourself and be like, okay, well, why am I even feeling like this? Or mm -hmm. why have I done this behavior mm -hmm. or why? do I want these other things or have these expectations and putting that on my partner or potential um, new future partner. And it's really hard to like look within because it's so easy to blame everything else. It's so easy to be like, well, you know, there's a thousand million people out there. I could have my pick. And, <laughs> and then we do have these unrealistic expectations. And I don't really know where that came from because looking back, I don't remember thinking like my potential like boyfriend or 
you know, future husband needed to be this, this, and this, and this. It was mm-hmm. just like, I just want to like them. Mm-hmm. I want to be attracted to them mm-hmm. and I want to have fun with them. And now you, you see people being like, literally one of the major things for a lot of women is minimum six feet. Oh, really? Like, where did that come from? Oh. Yeah. And, and then a lot of men have these unreal expectations of women being like, you better look like an Instagram model or mm-hmm. you're not good enough. So I wonder if it's people thinking also how it represents them. Like I need to be with the tallest, hottest, mm-hmm. fittest, mm-hmm. most successful man mm-hmm. because that makes me better. Right. I look better. I'm, I have more value and vice versa for men having the hottest, mm-hmm. sexiest, best woman because otherwise like that's not really what drew us originally that's not really the natural um I, I don't know expectation like maybe I'm wrong but that's yeah, what it seems argue with this because a lot of people think my taste is very questionable well, but I mean <laughs> but I mean what is like what is drawing to you so like you're yeah. thinking is like this type is your type and <laughs> if I have it's that unique. then I have the best and yeah. like people will look at me yeah. and be like oh she's you know she's got this great life and you're perfect <laughs> and your value all of a sudden goes up and um so yeah I just I that's where I feel like social media and um yeah well social media plays a part but maybe that's because I'm too quick to blame it on the outside forces versus thinking like maybe yeah. everyone just needs to take a minute and think about themselves and what they're yeah. putting out there. Yeah. And, st- you know, if you're using your relationship as a status symbol, are you really getting what you want out of it? Mm-hmm. You know, I think an important question to ask yourself, whether you're single or you're in a relationship and, or you're dating is, how do I want to feel? Right? Because, you know, we, we are motivated by our emotions. Ultimately, how do I want to feel? And then look for a partner who helps you to feel that way. But more importantly, make yourself feel that way. That's the other thing. When we want something, we expect our partner to deliver it when we don't realize that we are the ultimate determinant of what we get in life and how we feel, right? So I can say, oh, I want, I want someone who makes me feel really loved. But if I don't make myself feel loved, if I don't surround myself with other sources in my life that make me feel loved, one person is not going to make me feel that way. So ultimately, it starts with yourself. Like if you're not in a good space internally like you just can't really have a great relationship whether it's romantic or just even a friendship I that's a good that's an interesting point so I I think that I I would be reticent to say that you need to have your stuff figured out before you can be with a partner I think that what we just really need to be is kind of honest and Mm -hmm. be willing to be vulnerable and say this is something I struggle with rather than trying to overcompensate for something or Mm -hmm. trying to hide that something. So I'm not saying that you have to, you know, love yourself 100% and have yourself, have everything together before you can have a happy relationship. Um, I just think that it's not fair to ask one person to give you everything that you need to deliver that. And, and in terms of the wanting someone who's six feet tall or wanting someone who looks like an Instagram model, um, Again, I think it comes back to, can you consider that 99 rule? Like, what are you going to care about when you're 99 years old? Well, they're not going to look like they did no. 40, 50 years prior. And they to... won't be six feet tall anymore. <laughs> every every year you lose a little yeah. bit. 
Yeah, and um, I, I guess it has to do with what we see as, you know, these hashtag relationship goals. We mm-hmm. see these shiny couples looking a certain way. And, you know, it's funny because my, my husband is a very handsome guy. He's a really nice guy. And we have a really nice relationship. But it's something we continue to work on. It's not something that we received. It's not something we have because we're two great people. It's something that we've invested in. And, and it's true, you know, on Instagram, am I posting a video of him and I fighting? No, I'm posting videos when we're laughing, when we're having a good time. And we did a podcast on what we fight about. And I couldn't believe that people were like, oh, we couldn't picture you guys fighting. Of course we fight. I'm a pain in the butt. You know, I'm like very irrational. I don't follow all the advice I don't have. No. You know, like, of course we fight because we live together and we love each other and we're worth, it's worth fighting. Does it mean we throw plates at each other? No. But does it mean that we always fight fair as well? Or, you know, no, right? We're just human beings who are doing our best and, and I guess, you know, again, this it's the status symbol of a happy relationship. It's like, a, you know, a, something, it's like a trophy. We talked about a trophy wife. Now parents have trophy kids and now it's trophy husband and trophy marriage. And that the bottom line is it simply doesn't exist, right? Everybody's got struggles. Some of us are, are lucky and have more privilege so that we have fewer struggles. And I think that's important to acknowledge. But every everything requires effort and um I think you have to really ask yourself, do you want to be in a relationship? Because if you're finding excuses not to be, you probably don't want to be. I think you made a good point, though, about just being human. I think a lot of us stop letting ourselves be human, Mm -hmm. even just society. Like, obviously Mm -hmm. we are, but it's this whole idea of, like, this constant mission to find perfection. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't exist. And then all of a sudden you, you aren't human and you become your phone and your screen and your and be like an AI because that Mm -hmm. is sort of perfect because it Mm -hmm. is designed to be that way Mm -hmm. well you yeah you strive for the perfection which is impossible so then you project the perfection Mm -hmm. which i mean is unrealistic yeah Mm -hmm. and then what are you you're kind of miserable underneath because you're not perfect and nobody is and you really are just human i think allowing ourselves to be human is probably the biggest gift we can give ourselves Mm -hmm. and we're just there's so many pressures that are kind of pushing you to be this Mm -hmm. like cookie cutter image of quote unquote perfection which is weird because that was how you know things were in in the past like probably our grandparents age 50s. where the 50s mm-hmm. exactly so it's weird that that's still happening now with all of the uh, liberations i guess of this day and age right well and i think the pressure on women in particular yes. um because we want to perform because we want to compete in business because we want to you know, do it all. Yeah, do it all. We still ultimately. have the kids, right? Yeah, and I th- I think it's it can be really challenging, especially if you feel like you have to be strong in order to survive in what we consider a man's world. I know I can be a little bit alpha, Me and too. and I really put up <laughs> walls. And one thing I noticed is that when I'm in spaces where I feel really safe, like I went to a couple of conference re- conferences recently, and they were women of color focused, and that's a space where I felt really safe that I just broke down. And I've never seen myself like that before. Like at one point I'm like, why am I crying? I'm just crying. I'm still crying. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, I'm still crying. (laughs) Stop crying, Jess. (laughs) But you know what, in those moments I realized that I need to make more space to be vulnerable. And sometimes you just get so busy, right? I'm doing all of these different things. I'm so overcommitted that, that I don't give myself the time 
to be vulnerable. And then in, in doing so, I, you know, I'm not being my authentic self. And it's so funny you talk about how we have this shift back to the perfect kind of, let's say, housewife of the 50s, only now we're not housewives, we're mothers, we're running employee, committees, employee, yeah. business owners, all yeah. of those things. Oh, and a sexy wife. Like yeah. on top of it all, <laughs> you yeah. have to be this sexy wife. Forever too. Yeah. Not just like right. for 10 years. Right. Like you, the expectation is to be forever. Right. And I think that's why if we go back to the question of how do I want to feel, right? Do I, I want to feel loved? I want to feel appreciated. You can get back to the core of what you, what you really care about, right? Like you cannot worry about a line on your face or a mark on your thigh or those extra pounds when, when you, well, yeah, when you think about like, what do you want to feel? I know for me, I want to feel loved. Um, I want to feel at ease. I want to feel appreciated. I certainly want to feel like I'm making a difference. And with all the noise around me, um, it can be hard to see those things, but I know I have a lot of that in my life, right? And, and when we talk about digital media, when you're in the public eye, like I am and like, like you are, um, you get a lot of positive reinforcement, but then you also get a lot of criticism. If, if you go to my TED Talk, I, I read the comments once near the beginning for like five minutes and I cried and I've never looked again. I've never even watched the talk. But oh this, the type of stuff people send me, they, they go out of their way to send me an email or go on my contact form and you know tell me how much they hate my work. Um, but at the same time, I, I can think about that or I can think about the people who message me and say, oh my gosh, this podcast really resonated. My husband and I had such a good conversation. We've never talked about this before. And so when I think about how do I want to feel, I have to kind of bring my focus to the things that help me to feel loved and appreciated and like I'm making a difference. Yeah, that's something that you always talk about is, um, and I guess, you know, this comes back to your actually being a doctor. <laughs> so it's about um, you're in control of your behavior, you're in control of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, you can have someone amazing and as a partner that can, you know, help with that or, I don't know, add to it. But your bottom bottom line is it comes down to you. So, I mean, that's what I'm personally taking from this. Yeah, I think that's definitely been the theme is that we have to stop putting all the expectations on everybody else around us and just, like, take a minute and do introspect, like you said, and and ask ourselves at the end of the day, how do you want to feel and what do you want? And I think um, one of the things that Jess and I were talking about prior is, you know, with in this society, in North American society, you know, there's still sort of, like, the phases of life. Like, in your... 20s, people are starting to get engaged, get married, and then they get the, they have a marriage and then they buy a house and they have kids. And <laughs> mm-hmm. so you're going through the regular, normal, um, just course of life. But one of the things when you reach a different stage in life, so I'm 35, so at 25, everything was great and exciting and mm-hmm. fun. I was like, oh, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to do all these things. And then you come to 35 and I'm married and I have a house and I have children. And I, have a, I do have a beautiful life. But then you, your mindset starts to shift. And you think like, oh, well, I didn't really get to do this or I haven't finished like, you know, pursuing that passion. And and then you start to kind of put that on your life or your partner and be like, well, it's your fault. I'm mm-hmm. resentful now. Mm-hmm. So my question about that, though, is how do you teach yourself or train or where do you get the resource at that 25 year mark to be like, OK, I'm, I'm looking like I'm going to get into this relationship for a long time, mm-hmm. probably, hopefully, maybe forever. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a family. Mm-hmm. How do I know how to manage my feelings 10 years from now if I start to feel differently? 20 years from now. 20 years, years from, from now. now. You mean if you want something different? Yeah, like if maybe the feelings change or. How do you prep for know. being that in that long term <laughs> commitment? 
Um, well, I think you, you have conversations from the get-go about what you value and what you're feeling. Yeah, I wish I could always go back yeah. to people's premarital or pre-commitment, you know, pre-moving in together relationships and have them have conversations about money, about travel, about kids, about family, about um, professional priorities, about their emotional and literacy. I think these are conversations that you can be having from when you're, you know, six years old at an age appropriate level. And then really it's never too early in a relationship to talk about these things that are tied to your personal and familial and perhaps religious or cultural or um, ethnocultural values. Uh, you have this course, this, these 50 exercises you do with your partner. And some of them are kind of fun intended to induce passion but some of them are, are about serious conversations ongoing conversations so how do you prepare yourself yeah because at 25 how do you know you even should have that serious yeah. conversation you, or do you how do you even know about that serious because you're on a high at 25 you're thinking like we're so in love we're romantic oh. and it's just like this fiery exciting relationship and then life happens right and obviously you change that. So then you still have that expectation, like, what happened to us? We were so happy and vibrant, yeah. and now we're not. Well, like, well, you can yeah. change things about your life. Like, for example, I, you know, what I see with parents is that they get so into their children and so into raising trophy children that they believe they have to do things that they don't actually have to do. Right? You're driving across town because they must go to this one specific ballet school, and you're up five days a week because they must train with this specific training trainer. Listen, our parents didn't do all of that for us and somehow we survived, but there is this pressure to do everything and you can blame it on culture, but ultimately it's on you, yeah. right? Like when Back you say you. you need to do something, do you really need to do it? Or what are you saying? I value this and I choose to do this, right? So if you're going to value and choose to do something, hopefully you also appreciate that you can do it. Whereas if you're doing something with resentment, stop doing it, right? And, and if you're, let's say you're 35, so if you're doing something with, you're 35 years old, you've got your kids, you feel you missed out on travel. Well, guess what? You can still go do something. Can you go to, you know, Africa for a month? Probably, maybe not, perhaps not, depending on your Definitely budget. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be. Yeah, yeah, but there are still things you can do. And also we should be really, I, I mean, I live in a, I'm very lucky um, feeling really grateful. Like they talk about the practice of gratitude and I don't know if it's because I grew up in Canada and my mom came from Jamaica and I, I see what the standard of living is in Jamaica, but I always feel grateful like every damn day, every sip of good wine, every like delicious sandwich, every good coffee. I know how lucky I am. And so well, I do think we, no, and I don't know why. That's it's amazing. Not, yeah, it's not really something I have to practice. Like I know, listen, I know that life is good I know I have a nice life, um, and most people, many people in North America, don't realize yeah. how much we have. We take it for granted. Well, we even the smallest of things, like being able to see, nobody really sits mm -hmm. there and is like, "I'm so grateful for my mm -hmm. eyes." But mm -hmm. yeah, we it don't is. respect what we have, and because we're constantly looking for more and yeah. better. Yeah, and, and, and we, we do things mindlessly, right? I, I went for a swim the other day, so I'm not a swimmer, but I decided I was going to try and swim a mile, very, very slowly, like a you know, a turtle getting blown around by the waves. And as I was doing it, I'm getting very bored because I'm psychologically weak. I'm physically strong, but I'm psychologically weak doing this swim. And as I was doing it, I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to be thankful that I can move my legs this way. I hate it right now <laughs> because I'm not sure if I'm going to go under soon. <laughs> but, you know, just 
thinking about the, the small things and, and appreciating the small things helps you to be more in the moment. And again, if you're feeling you're 35, you're 45, you're regretting things, you're feeling resentful, we all get this way. Trust me, I have my angry days too. But I do kind of think to when I'm 99. I think like, what am I going to regret when I'm 99? And it's probably not being a loving parent. <laughs> and I'm probably not going to regret staying in this relationship, even though it's difficult right now. Um, I don't think that I'm going to regret that I didn't get to go to one country in Africa, right? Like, how does that bring me fulfillment? Mm -hmm. And again, it's fine to want to travel. I love travel. I think it's very exciting. And the other thing is that we have to remember at 35 is that you're barely a third of your way through your life. You have so much time, right? We're not going to die, hopefully, tomorrow. And if we do die tomorrow, that, that's all the more reason to appreciate today. And I know maybe that sounds kind of corny, but, you know, like life is life is really good and you can make small changes, right? Sometimes I think we have a, we call it like a cognitive distortion. We call it the all or nothing thinking, right? Well, I can't travel the world for six months. Now I don't get to travel at all. Well, you know what? You're kind of lucky if you even get to get on a plane because most people in the world have never been on a plane. But maybe you can go mm -hmm. see, see, an, see an interesting piece of culture in Detroit. Or maybe you can go see an interesting piece of culture someplace else. There's interesting culture there's interesting architecture there's fab you know in buffalo yeah. do you have a lot of listeners a lot of people in toronto i yes. think mostly okay yes. so <laughs> do you know a really interesting place nearby is buffalo because buffalo i know we you know everybody gives buffalo a hard time but um there's a lot of really fabulous architecture in buffalo from the turn of the 20th century because it was one of the wealthiest cities in North America, right? They had more millionaires than anywhere else. I don't know and any of this. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Okay. It's not, I'm not suggesting that it's quite as exciting as, you know, maybe like some other cities like, like Paris. Florence, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not Florence. <laughs> but having said that, the Albright Knox Gallery has a really interesting collection there. No, it's not the Uffizi. So you can always be like, well, I wish I was at the Uffizi or the Academia. But you're, you can go see other things that are closer to home. So rather than having that all or nothing thinking, um, you can, you know, appreciate the small stuff. Yeah. And that's where I think everybody should be in therapy. And I'm a big fan of cognitive behavioral therapy because it's short term and it's intended to help you be your own therapist. It's intended to help you change the way you think and yeah. adjust the way you behave, which in the end affects the way you feel. And that's what we're all looking for. We're looking to feel something in particular. So uh, if you have the means or if you have benefits and you can go see a cognitive behavioral therapist, even for a few sessions, I think it can have a really positive impact. And everybody, I don't want to say should, but I think everyone can benefit mm -hmm. from being in therapy. And Everyone should. And, de <laughs> and we need so. to destigmatize that as well, especially yeah. across, you know, multiple cultures, because some people feel it's uh, it's okay and other people have been weakness. right and if you're dealing with oppression you don't really necessarily want to admit to a weak as you said a mm -hmm. weakness or a flaw or a deficit or what's and, considered for some yeah. people they would think it's a weakness even though it's not it's yeah. just being human, human and being vulnerable I, and then i just wanted to quickly chat about like when you say you know it's important to be vulnerable and, and it, you need to have these conversations if you're feeling things and you're you're you know maybe things have changed in your relationship and you're unsure i think one of the biggest issues is that you know it but it's so scary to have those conversations and be vulnerable and own anything and admit it because you don't know how the other person is going to react and you don't know what that means in the future how that's going to change your life or your relationship um, so I, I do think that therapy is such a helpful tool in that because having that sort of third party there, even though they're not making a decision for you, but it just helps give it to give that, I don't know, like a bit of safety 
it, well, it validates and makes it not something like it's another person with expertise coming yeah. in, you know, a perspective. And, yeah. And, it, and it's a respected perspective because, um, they're a professional or whatever, right? It's not just, and, and they can articulate better for you, I think too. Yeah. And they're not emotionally invested, so they can <laughs> give it to you straight, which mm-hmm. is also helpful. Absolutely. And you know, the, the being vulnerable part, um, I would suggest that you think about what you want from your partner so you can articulate that to them. Because sometimes we just come and tell our partners how we feel, and then they respond how they think we want them to respond. But Mm -hmm. if we were specific and said, you know what, I'm feeling really insecure about this thing. What I need from, what I would love from you is a hug, or what I really need from you is to tell me I have nothing to worry about, or what I need from you is to, you know, explain this one thing to me. Sometimes you have to tell your partner what you need because human needs are not universal. And so when I'm feeling vulnerable, I want, might want physical affection and my partner might want physical space. And so you do need to articulate your needs and not expect your partner to anticipate them, right? They're not mind readers. This isn't a guessing game. Um, you know, again, this comes back to this Western romance. Oh, they just get me. No, people don't just get you because you, you're so individual And the other thing a therapist can help with is to help you acknowledge that when you see a deficit in someone else, oftentimes it's something you see in yourself, right? So when we're critical of our partners, oftentimes there's something else there that we need to look at. When we're critical of potential dates, when we say like, oh no, they're like this, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, oftentimes it's because we're like this (laughs) and we don't want to work on that. And so, yeah, the projecting. uh, Yes. I see that a lot. (laughs) I'm very guilty of that. Me too. Me too. And I, you know, I had a therapist on my podcast recently who called me out on it and she's like, well, maybe I was talking about how I was afraid of being bored in relationships. And she said, Maybe you're afraid of being boring. I'm like, damn, girl. <laughs> you got me. The doctor has spoken. The boring sexologist. <laughs> Mic <My> drop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely for sure, I think. And just in my own personal life, I've been able to finally do more reflection and, and see that I put a lot on other relationships mm-hmm. that are really things that I just needed to deal with mm-hmm. and work through. Um, do you feel like evened out, I guess? Yeah, I'm getting there. For sure. I'm for sure getting there. And I I'm, can see it. I'm grateful for that. Um, but just like, I know we have to wrap up, which we want to talk forever. I know. <laughs> I can you be our constant guest? <laughs> can you be on every other week? Um, but just in terms of like back to dating and the social media sphere, mm-hmm. um, what do you think is going to happen in the future? Like, how is this going to affect everything? Because you said that you're the stats are showing maybe less long-term marriages, but more fulfilled and happier marriages, mm-hmm. and but less divorce at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then maybe less relationships or romantic relationships or committed relationships. But do you think that social media and dating apps are going to play any real part in the future at all? Or it's just another sort of trend? No, I, I think, you know, apps and social media, they're, they're ubiquitous. And so we can't have a culture that isn't shaped by them to some degree. Uh, but again, they're human created and human use. So it's, I think we would have gone in this direction regardless of whether or not it was through this specific medium or supported by another. Uh, overall, I'm an optimist for relationships. I think that uh, more choice means that people can custom design their relationships to work for them. Um, And it's interesting when we talk about lower marital rates across the world, we're seeing a delay in marriage. So people are taking longer to get married. And I hope that that means that 
they're really considering their options and opting in. So I, I certainly see the future of relationships with a good degree of optimism. And I, again, I think this comes down to greater emotional literacy across culture and also across gender, uh, you know, across all genders. Uh, I think the more we start thinking about our feelings and then talking about our feelings, the more meaningful our relationships become. And uh, I, I know it's easier said than done. And it's not a one-time thing. I think that's one thing that people don't realize. You don't get to just talk about something once and it's over. This is an ongoing process. It's never going to stop. Will, do I have more understanding now of my partner's emotional needs than I did when I met him 18 years ago? Of course. But I don't know that it's... I think that it's constantly evolving. I think mm -hmm. that his emotional needs constantly change. And so I don't think I have him figured out. I hear people say like, oh, I know everything about them. I don't know everything about him. I don't want to know everything about him. I don't want that burden. Um, and, and it's, again, that's a status symbol, right? Yeah, I, I yeah. don't need the status of knowing everything about him. Yeah. Um, and so I really try and tune into how I feel as opposed to what it looks like. And I think evolution is key. Like it's, we're, we're supposed to evolve. So this idea of needing to find one way of being and staying in it because that feels good in the moment mm -hmm. is unrealistic. Mm -hmm. And I, yes. I'm glad that I embrace evolution more now mm -hmm. because I was for a long time stuck on this, like, oh, I have to stay in this happy little box. And now mm -hmm. it's like, no, I'm excited to grow and change and mm -hmm. see the changes and have that in my life. Life is fluid and trying to make a relationship Unfluid is, you know, Impossible. setting, yeah, setting up for disaster. <laughs> yeah. So awareness, introspection. And giving, and, and introspection. giving yourself permission to just feel okay with where you're at. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think I, I, I'm always afraid that my work will put pressure on people to do everything, be everything, do it right. You know, do cognitive behavioral therapy, change the way you think. No, I mean, a little bit at a time. Yeah. Baby steps. Yeah. You're human. And we're all kind of just figuring this out. Awesome. Oh, Dr. Well, Jess, thank you so, so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Your clothes. Yeah. <laughs> please tell our listeners where they can find you. Sure. Sexwithdrjess.com and sexwithdrjess on all social media. Awesome. And my podcast, all that. Great. Yeah. We love you. Thank you thank so you much. So much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.